Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about tech, including news, reviews, and maybe a rant once in a while. First, the introductions. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of ThisIsTrue.com, the oldest entertainment publication on the internet. I'm Leo Notenboom, the chief question answerer out at AskLeo.com. I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of MacMost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials each week. And I also make mobile games that you can find at CleverMedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, the creator of FreePrintable.net, which offers 43,000 printable documents and templates, and FaxZero.com, which lets you send faxes right from your computer. Cool stuff. I'll start with CBS News reported this week that people on Black Friday were searching for Amazon on Google and were tricked into clicking a bogus ad, which somehow routed them through Facebook, which fooled Google's anti-scam algorithms, and they landed on a Microsoft tech support scam site. So the first question I have is, why do people search Google for Amazon? Why don't they just go to Amazon.com? That's my question, too. Actually, it's amazing. For the longest time, the single highest searched keyword on Google was Hotmail. And because <laughs> people don't really understand the difference between an address bar and a search. They're just typing what they want to go to into whatever they have. And eventually, with an extra click or two, it takes them there. Yeah, in the meantime, they get, they get to see some ads. Yeah, and uh, you know the the problem is a lot of browsers now combined the search and address at the top, just one field, and you could save yourself a few keystrokes. You know, if you type Facebook and then hit return <laughs> instead of Facebook.com, so sometimes they try to fill in the .com for you before they actually send you to the search. What I'm interested in is this this technology that somehow routed through Facebook. That, that kind of intrigues me is how, how that got turned into a, an attack vector. Hey, anybody find out any, anything about that? I tried to research that and see what it was they did, and I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I, I Googled uh, how to hack Facebook for quite a while, and nothing came up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll link to the uh, CBS News article on the show page, but it is kind of an interesting conundrum, and I don't really expect CBS News to have good tech reporting to explain how that happened. But I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing that – the Kevin, scammers were out there ready. Kevin, I suspect that with that in your search history, you probably can expect a visit from somebody here in the not-too-distant future. Oh, good. I've been lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, it's got to be just the sort of thing where, of course, they're putting an ad through that's not going to be reviewed by a human. And they figured out that if they tried to do the fake ad normally, it's caught by Google systems. So they used Facebook somehow as a redirect. And I bet you when they set it up and they put it through Google, they, it went somewhere else. Like it went to a legitimate Facebook page that was like, you know, uh, you know how to find great deals at Amazon or something like that. And then as soon as it was approved and was actually getting traffic, then they switched it so that it was then flowing through because that's the flaw in a lot of this is that you, you know you get an ad approved or something approved somewhere that you know even if somebody looks at it you can just switch it up later on i was actually wondering if that by linking to a well-known domain such as facebook.com if that bypasses some level of check um, at the advertising filter level good point interesting question and i noticed in the screenshot that they had on the article, 
they showed the scam site and it was hosted on CloudFront. So I I was asked, wondering about that because I've actually got one of my sites front-ended by CloudFront. Does CloudFront actually do hosting or are they just doing um, CDN, content delivery network type stuff? I'm not sure, but it showed a CloudFront URL with, you know, a bunch of miscellaneous characters. So it was, you know, not obviously a a hosted site of, you know, something.com. It it was the CloudFront URL. And I, I guess rather than embedding that onto a website, they were just going to the raw CloudFront site. Right, right. It's interesting. I know that CloudFront gets a lot of heat for some of the sites that they've been at least involved with. Like I said, I've never really understood them to be a true host, but more of a a performance optimization service. And in some ways, I kind of feel bad for them because to actually police absolutely everything that might be run through their site, not necessarily even hosted on their service, that's a that's an, an, an enormous task that that I'm not sure is realistic for them to be able to even accomplish. It's pretty well integrated and, and inter intertwingled, I think, with uh, S3 and and EC2 and all those other Amazon services, which all of which are also impossible to police. Yep, uh, the whole net is impossible to police. So. <laughs> well, so Why so the not? whole the whole uh, end game for this this whole. Th- hack was basically to redirect people to the same old uh you know fake ad saying your computer's been hacked or you've got malware or something like that call this number and then they would call the number and be connected to somebody who says i need to take control of your computer to fix it right which for 149 dollars yeah, so you know they're doing a couple they could just be taking the cash and not really care about your computer or they could be caring more about your computer and putting malware on there, including ways to use your computer to, for further exploits yeah. or doing both. I've heard it all. I've heard all the variations. Uh, definitely. Sometimes they're using the computer and doing things surreptitiously while they're doing something else. So you see them quote unquote working on your computer while they're uploading malware. Sometimes it's actually ransomware so that uh, they then forcibly take control and, you know, hold it, hold your data for ransom. Um, other times it is as simple as, you know, take some money and then go away. Um, in all cases, though, it's just one of the things that always boggles my mind about this specific issue, the, the Microsoft tech support scam, is that it seems like it's so well known. Um, but maybe it's just a, f- a function of the bubble that, that we live in, specifically, you know, the four of us. We hear about this stuff all the time. Uh, the average consumer probably doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the kind of techniques that they use to scare you into thinking there really is something wrong with your computer, well, yeah, if you don't know what's going on, they're pretty scary stuff. Um, so it's it's a tough one. And people it's really unfortunate it. when people fall for it. Yeah, I had, I had a family member call me uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, s- something popped up on their... Uh, all of their Apple devices at once simultaneously uh, saying like, you know, something is wrong with your device. You need to call this, this number. And uh, it, it seemed legit to them. And that, but they called me to double check and I was just like, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was having lunch with some friends uh, the other week and so, you know, they they didn't think to ask somebody and they, they did get something uh, again on a, a Mac it, that, you know, was one of those fake ads that popped up and said, you've got malware and call this number and all that and tried to make it like it was officially Apple. 
And, um, yeah. and the thing was, she's pretty tech savvy. But so she, she did that and then kind of forgot about it because things appeared to be fixed. And then was at lunch and we were talking about something and it triggered the memory. And she said, well, a couple of weeks ago, this is what happened to me. And everybody else at the table looked at her and said, uh, <laughs> it's just been hacked. And immediately like the light went on and said, Oh my God, how did I fall for that? And she said that, you know, she had a bunch of stressful things going on at that given time that just created this blind spot. And she's, immediately she remembered all the scams, all the stuff and felt bad for having fallen for it. So you can even kind of be aware of this stuff. And sometimes, I mean, that's how scammers work, whether it's a in-person, you know, scam that they're doing to you uh, or something online or something like that. They're, they're hoping they hit enough people that they get somebody at a weak moment. Well, it's kind of like spam in a lot of sense. You know, you hit enough people sooner or later, you're bound to get somebody that's vulnerable. Right. And you'd think, you know, who hasn't heard of the Nigerian scam, yet it works every day? Yeah, that's still popular, I know. It's crazy. One of the things that I did a while back is um, I actually did a lookup on one of the phone numbers that was reported, uh, you know, your, your computer's infected, call Microsoft at this number. If you do a search for the phone number, it turns out to be a number for some random company that is offering or has positioned search entries for things like Microsoft support, Yahoo support, uh, Outlook support, Google support. In other words, they're positioning themselves as a, as a, uh, as representing the company when in fact they're, you know, out there just scamming everybody they possibly can. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Can't believe it still goes on. Well, speaking of Black Friday, another article I spotted was that paper gift catalogs are making a comeback. The LA Times said they peaked in 2007 at 19.6 billion catalogs being mailed out, but they may have bottomed out last year with only 9.8 billion mailed. Toys R Us and Sears brought back print catalogs this year. Why? The ability to stand out in that physical mailbox is easier than it was 10 years ago, said Neil O'Keefe of the Direct Marketing Association. It's kind of crazy because they certainly don't stand out in my mailbox. I've got enough catalogs coming that most of them don't even make it into the house before they hit the recycle bin. Yeah, my recycle bin is basically just a library of uh you know, catalogs that exist <laughs> until recycling day. So if you want in my house to see a catalog or something, um, you know, you can, you have a nice stack to look at if it's say the day before recycling day, the day after recycling day, it's, it's empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was the rule because it's keeping them around until every family member blessed them as it's time to recycle uh, wasn't working. So they just go in the recycling bin. And if you care, then you just make it your business to, <laughs> pluck it out of the recycling bin before yeah. it goes away. But occasionally, do I, I do the same thing. Uh, you know, the, all the catalogs go straight in the recycling bin, and occasionally a child will find a toy catalog or a Lego catalog or something that I've tossed away, and you know, I'll be taken to task. I'm like, nope, sorry, I can't, can't save them all. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You toss away Lego catalogs? Occasionally. Well, yes. yes I you? Do. I do. <laughs> Why don't I get Lego catalogs? I would like a Lego catalog. I'll buy, oh, buy, buy anything directly from Lego once ever, and I promise you'll get Lego. Okay. Correct that this holiday season. But, you know, when, when you get email marketing messages, 
you know, they all have unsubscribe links if they're from a legitimate company and I use them. And if they're not from a legitimate company or even if they are, they might end up in your spam folder. And so, I mean, it's got to be hard for legitimate companies what, reaching out to their legitimate buyers to get in via email. So even though it has to cost way more in terms of production and in terms of mailing, um, you could see why catalogs would be still successful for some marketers, for some people. And you can use them while your, uh, your iPhone recharges. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, you know, the, the catalogs that I'm talking about are usually fairly thin. They're, you know, like the 40, 50 page type things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that with some, some analytics behind choosing who to get the catalog, if they were to send out something the equivalent of the old, oh, I don't know, Sears wish book, if you remember that from years ago. Which also made a comeback, I understood. Did it? Yeah. So yeah. that's like a couple hundred pages of catalog. I mean, that just just you know gets your attention based on thud factor, if nothing else. So maybe there's a combination of using technology to target your market and then sending that targeted market something that uh, that is of high value. When I was a kid, there was only one catalog that I, I cared about, and I suspect I'm not the only one here. It was the Radio Shack catalog. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I saved some of them. Instantly, yeah. I just love looking through. And I would, I would look and read the descriptions of every little product on that catalog. Back in the days when Radio Shack sold cool electronic kits and gadgets and things like that. Heathkit, my friend. Heathkit. Yes, yes. Heathkit catalogs were also a good, uh, um, a good source of inspiration and love. Yeah, and well, back, back in the East Coast, there was a company called Edmund Scientific. It's probably still Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that catalog. That catalog. I love that. And I, it wasn't that far. I think once or twice, we actually road trip and visited it, visited their store. That's hilarious. So two things. One is my post office seems to be well ahead of the curve because they have a five-gallon trash can in the customer area and a 75-gallon roll-away recycling bin, <laughs> which... <laughs> To me, this begs the question, is, is catalogs really a new trend? You know, is it really making a comeback or is it the last gasp of failing brick-and-mortar retailers? The, uh, so, I, as you know, I've got a, a post office box for a mailing address for the business. And when I go out there, out there to check it, uh, there are several recycling bins uh, in the lobby scattered around the various post office boxes. And of course, they're always overflowing with, with marketing materials. Uh, the worst offender by far uh, is not a catalog. I get, every time I go check it, like every week, I get something from Comcast yes, trying to me sell too. me, yep, trying to sell me small business uh, internet, mm-hmm. which is ironic because, well, we're in fact speaking over a Comcast internet connection. So they're basically trying to sell to a customer they already have. And it's just so frustrating. I get it here at home as well. Yeah. We need to talk to you about your, you know, checking out your connection type and whatever, however they word it. It's just they either want to sell to you or upsell to you. Exactly. Well, it is yeah. nothing new. I mean, online with remarketing, you know, I go to Amazon, I buy something, and then I see nothing but that product pitched to me from Amazon. I already bought it, guys. Well, remarketing, I kind of understand as being somewhat complex, but you'd think that when they're putting together a mailing list of somebody to put, uh, to send paper to, they would be able to run it against their already existing list of customers and remove those. Yeah, well, that's probably just too much thinking for a corporation these days. So it would seem. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I like the remarketing because sometimes it's like you, you buy something like a, whatever, a light switch cover or something that you need one of, you buy it, and then you start getting ads for light switch covers everywhere. It's just like, you, you guys think I'm like starting a collection or something? I just... <laughs> <laughs> Your new hobby. Right. And, <laughs> and how I, much does that cost compared to how much profit they're going to make on a light switch cover? Right, yeah. But you know, on the, on the other hand, there, there are scenarios where it not only makes sense, but it works. For example, uh, recently I bought a new camera. And yeah, I'm... What'd you get? What'd you get? Huh? Oh, I've got that. Um, it's a Nikon D810. Excellent. And so now I'm seeing ads for Nikon all the time. And it's, you know, great. Nikon lenses. Somebody who just got a Nikon camera might very well be interested in adding to his collection with another lens. So that kind of sort of makes sense. No, I haven't fallen victim to any of the ads. I, I know where I'd want to go to get something anyway. But the point being that that kind of targeted marketing actually and targeted remarketing actually does kind of sort of make some sense. Yeah, that's why I've gotten used to opening private browsing windows in Safari or, you know, incognito windows in Chrome. It's <laughs> exactly. cool because you, you have this idea. It's like, oh, that, that's a nice looking car. I'm not really in the market for a car, but I am kind of curious how much that one costs. I'm not searching for that unless I go into, you know, private browsing mode so that it, I don't see ads for that car for the next 30 days. That's hilarious. Yeah. And there are sites where you can opt out of remarketing and I, you know, go in there once in a while just to kill all the cookies and get it, get rid of it. But you know, after a while, they are all back there again. You have to I'm just going to say it doesn't do it last. against. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the Safari browser in on Macs in, in High Sierra has a feature that is you know goes against you know tries to stop the remarketing, and it basically clears out cookies. I think uh, twenty four gives a twenty four hour deadline to cookies. Um, from marketing companies and things like that. So you still get the remarketing. Like if you search for a car, you're still going to get those ads for the next 24 hours. But then you shouldn't see them after that. However, it doesn't work if, say, you're on Facebook and you would search and you're logged in. You know, Then Facebook knows at the server level that you were searching for that. So you know, uh, it only works so much. But it does, it does cut down on it quite a bit in my experience. Just another example of Facebook being evil. Yeah, or, well, I don't know if being evil. I mean, they're just selling <laughs> ads. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that bad. I mean, open up, you know, if you, if you could find a print newspaper now, open it up and see how many ads are in those. And, you know, Newspapers are evil. Oh, there's so many ads in everything. It I mean, is kind of funny. I, you know, we still get uh, People Magazine here. And I take a look at what people complain about online in terms of ad density and getting in their way. And then I flip open a magazine and it's just crazy full of ads, way more than you actually see on, on most legitimate sites online. It's, it's nuts. Um, so it's really, in a lot of ways, it's nothing new. The thing that's spooking people, of course, is that the ads don't follow you around in a paper magazine. Right. In a paper magazine, you, you might call the ads a feature, not a bug. You know, I mean, I remember I used to buy back when they were, there was some, used to be sold, something called computer magazines, um, like, for instance, Computer Shopper. And I mean, you bought that, those for the ads because you wanted to see all the cool stuff yeah. that uh, was available. Right. And, well, I know the, the ham radio magazine that I get, QRZ, it's the um, same thing. It's got uh, a lot of 
ads. It's like, you know, easily over 50% ads, but it's almost like the Radio Shack catalog we were talking earlier, where you oh, yeah, it's browse pure, pure all radio these porn. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I saw a, uh, an actual newspaper this you know, over the holiday here because I stayed with a family and some of them actually still get newspapers. And one of the interesting things was I was looking at the sections and there was a special holiday gift guide section in the local newspaper. And I looked at that and then I looked and it's like, this is just a section of ads, but they called it <laughs> the special holiday gift guide mm-hmm. section. So it was like, well, you know, there's something very honest about this section of the paper. There's no real content. It's just advertising. I will admit to still getting a newspaper here, uh, but when they have those kinds of things, they're actually very honest about it because usually across the top it says prepared by the advertising department. Yeah. Good for them. I really enjoy, for the, I don't know, the last six months or something, we started taking a major metropolitan paper that just comes on, on Sunday. And uh, I, have really enjoyed going back to reading the, you know, yesterday's news on printed out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of special ad sections, Leo, you were intrigued by the top selling Amazon products. It's interesting for a couple of different reasons. One of them personal. Um, I, as is always the case, Amazon is kind of sort of taking over online shopping and nowhere is that more true than black Friday and cyber Monday. So, of course, immediately after Black Friday, uh, they actually produced a list of what their top selling items were. And it's not terribly surprising that they would do so because the number one item is somewhat self-serving. It's the Echo Dot, which, okay, I kind of sort of get that. That one kind of makes sense. It's a popular little product. I happen to have one. Um, it's fun to play with. I'm not sure what everybody's doing with it you know, in, real, in the real world, but it, it is kind of co- cool toy. Number two... Um, is the Amazon Fire TV Stick, which, again, is a nice, inexpensive way to start getting streaming video to basically any television that happens to have an HDMI import, which is most of them these days. Mm-hmm. Number three uh, was new uh, this year, at least to me. It was a TP-Link plug. Now, that sounds really crazy, but what it is is it's something that you plug in between, say, your, your plug it, your, the light you plug into the wall and the wall. And what it does is it enables remote control from your Amazon Echo. So in reality, like the top three items here are all related to uh, Amazon Echo, Amazon streaming services, Amazon's online presence um, in the home. Number four is the personal one. Uh, it's the Instant Pot. Now, if you don't know what an Instant Pot is, it's basically a... It's legal in Colorado and Oregon. uh, And Washington. No, this is... um, The Instant Pot is basically a glorified pressure cooker. But it's got an almost cult following. And um, unlike last year, uh, it actually was the highest-selling non-Amazon product uh, on Black Friday. Uh, this year, it was it was supplanted by that TP-Link device I was talking about, but it's still there at position number four. Uh, number five uh, was also an interesting one that has some really interesting ramifications. It's the 23andMe genetic test. Apparently, people are getting the 23andMe genetic test and, like, giving it to them. Uh, somebody was thinking that, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, it makes a whole lot of sense uh, you know, is you know, after the Thanksgiving dinner, and gosh only knows what kind of conversations were happening over the table, 
is Uncle Somebody, somebody really related to me? Let's figure this out. You know, I don't want to take <laughs> I don't want to take credit for that little piece of genetic history. The thing about 23andMe, and this may be hearsay. I have to I have to uh, say that I haven't confirmed this, but there was a report not long ago that said that the company behind 23andMe, who is collecting all of this DNA in order to do their genetic testing, has stated that they would provide DNA if if provided with a court order, which means you may be DNA to a company that could give it to the police if necessary. Well, don't they have to? I mean, if it's a court order, right? You would think it's a court order. The question really becomes, well, gosh, how long are they keeping this? That's what occurred to me. Yeah. You know, or what is the data that they're really keeping? I mean, I, I, I would hope, I would expect that they're not keeping my spit for years and years, but the data, the sequence, the data that represents my DNA fingerprint, are they keeping that? And, you know, are we going to find in about three or four years that they too have been hacked? I don't know. It's, it's kind of scary mm-hmm. and at least something to think about before diving into the uh, so-called genetic pool. U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer said that he wants the FTC to scrutinize how companies uh, that offer home DNA testing kits are handling the genetic data. So I don't think, uh, I think it's a concern of a, of a senator. I don't think he was calling out 23andMe specifically, although they are kind of the, one of the big kids on the block. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is certainly a new industry and something where the rules have really not been um, spelled out too well yet. I have concerns about, I mean, it's, it's great that, you know, a senator, any senator might, might take that kind of a position because it's, it's a fairly obvious one. It's a fairly popular one, I would think. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think the current climate is such that we're going to see a lot of additional regulation on larger companies like this uh, come into play anytime soon. Right. And keep in mind, of course, you know, that they can issue a warrant to get your DNA from them, but they could also issue a warrant to get it from you, Right. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, it, it, they would theoretically want it in a circumstance where they couldn't get a DNA sample from you, like they can't, you can't be found or somebody that died that, a long or, time ago or something. Or they want to kind of do it behind the scenes. You know, they don't want you necessarily to know that you're being investigated because, I don't know, maybe you're a flight risk or something like that. But the point is, this is a, you know, some way for them to get the DNA without letting you know about it. So I want to take a straw poll. Who here has done 23andMe or similar? I have. Me too. I have not. I have not. Nope. Well, two of us are smart. I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide which two. <laughs> well, I, 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 for me, it's. I think I would if I didn't already know so much of my family history. You know. Yeah, I think sides. I'm in that same boat. I, I don't think there are any secrets in my tree. Yeah. I mean, I know all the, you, you know. All the ailments that my, you know, immediate uh, ancestors have had and, you know, things like that and it's stories of where everybody has come from and also I don't really see that much there. And I, at this point, I know things like, am I lactose intolerant? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but by, by this age, you figure that out. Uh, I, I do have friends that have done it and it is interesting for them to find out some of this information. Also, I found it interesting. I didn't know that your, uh, your information is updated. Like they, they take your data and they're only able to tell you so much, say, in 2015, but then suddenly in 2017, they've come out with a way to look at that data and tell you more medical stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you may want to, as you get older, worry about this or that or 
Or you know, I've gotten definitely gotten emails from them over time. It's like, oh, we have new information about, you know, your genome about such and such. My so we're talking, we're worried about the genetic testing companies sharing data with us. Like getting back to Amazon's top selling products, people are definitely worried about the the Amazon Echoes spying on us. So the only thing is left, I think, is is the uh, the, the crockpot thing. <laughs> <laughs> the crockpot spying on us. To, to the best of my knowledge, the Instant Pot is not internet connected, but you never know. There could be a version coming soon, Bluetooth enabled or something. Well, it probably has a microphone built in anyway. I will tell you that for this Thanksgiving, our uh, Instant Pot made an absolutely awesome cheesecake. Huh. You can't make cheesecake in a pressure cooker. Oh, yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> Trust me on this. We've had three attempts, three successes, and they've been absolutely wonderful. Huh. Now I want one. Now uh -huh. I want one. Uh-huh. So spend some time on Facebook. Just search Instant Pot, and you'll see that it has an almost cult-like following. There's a, a bunch of different groups of people that are just absolutely going nuts about the thing and sharing recipes. It's crazy. Huh. But it's in it, you know, every so many years, there's some sort of new home cooking device that, like, wasn't it the Foreman grills for a while? You know, that they, you could do all these different things to them, cook things in a different way. Yeah, it's George Foreman. And, yeah. you know, and it seems like every few years there's some new. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. I, I never had one. Isn't a George Foreman grill just a grill at an angle? I think it's, it's basically like a, panini a panini press, press isn't yeah. it? A panini yeah. press at an angle. <laughs> yes. A panini press at an angle, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. That's all it is. <laughs> so, uh, so who so, of us have who of us have uh, Echo Dots or some other uh, a dingus like that? I have both a dot which sits on my desk, and then we've got an Amazon Echo in our kitchen. Mm -hmm. I've got a dot. We've only got three of them here. Yeah, we have three of them as well. Yeah, I just have one in my office. I, I haven't covered. Uh, all my living space. So here's a question then for all of you. What do you use it for? What's the thing you use it for the most? Music and timers. Yeah. Yep. Kitchen, kitchen timers, kitchen music. The kid uses it in, in uh, their room for, uh, for music, basically like a, like a radio because uh, they're too young to have a, a phone or whatever. And uh, I have one in the bathroom. I, when I get out of the shower, I ask for my flash briefing, and it tells me the, the news and the joke of the day. Okay. Gary? I use it for, <laughs> I have to admit, the number one app I use is the Jeopardy app. <laughs> so just you know, try to get those six <laughs> Jeopardy questions. And it, it, it's a really good technology demo because it's understanding sometimes really complex answers you know, as far as the pronunciation of the words or people's names or things like that. And 98% of the time it gets it right. I've run into a couple times where I've answered something and I've got it right and it just did not recognize that that's what I was saying, which is frustrating. Fascinating. But, so yeah, I'm in, definitely in the category of using it primarily as a glorified cooking timer. And uh, as it turns out, even though we're living, you know, we live in a suburb of Seattle, the uh, radio reception at our specific location isn't all that great for the uh, stations that we want to listen to. So we stream them through Echo instead. So, you know, uh, in related news, Apple's competitor, the HomePod, uh, was supposed to be out by the end of the year. That was the, the release date, by December 31st. And it, they're not going to do it. They, they announced they are pushing it back. It'll be released early next year. Um, so we have to wait a little bit longer 
for the HomePod. And the HomePod's got to be a lot more expensive. I think it's 350 or something like that. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing when Amazon came out with the Echo first. It had decent speakers in it and it costs more. And then they came out with the Dot, which just has a little speaker in it, but it's pretty cheap. Um, so, the, you know, the Apple HomePod is going to start with a pretty big device with great speakers in it, supposedly. Isn't the uh, HomePod just Siri in a box? Yeah, Siri in a box with the idea that, you know, it's really for people that have Apple Music. Because they don't have the big, you know, they don't have the the killer app that Amazon supposedly has is you can reorder things. You can say, you know, Alexa, order more light bulbs, you know. And Apple doesn't have that. They don't have a shopping site like that. But they do have Apple Music. So they put these speakers in it, try to make it like the best speaker they could. Uh, you stick it in a room. You have your Apple Music subscription and you use it in place of whatever it is you're using to play music now. I think you have to actually enable the ability to buy things through your Amazon Echo. And I live in fear of accidentally ordering something that I just have that turned off. I hope our listeners enjoy their new light bulbs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> now, and you know what's interesting? I, I was frustrated uh, that you couldn't use uh, Alexa on your phone because, you know, like you can with Siri and you can with Google through the Google app and you can with Cortana, you can you get an app on your phone, no matter what phone you've got, you know, an iPhone, you can do all those. But somebody, uh, I read somewhere and I tried it out and it works. You can use Alexa on your iPhone, not through the Alexa app, but through the Amazon app. <laughs> Strangely enough, there's a button at the top of the screen for like speaking to your Amazon shopping app. And it's actually Alexa that responds. And you can do things like ask for weather or whatever it is you normally do with Alexa on your iPhone, but just not in the, in the app you think you can. Mm. And Fascinating. It's a great, it's a great way to ch- test out Alexa without having a Echo device. I just fired up the Amazon shopping app on my Android. And sure enough, there's a little uh, Alexa icon in the upper... Uh, upper right of that screen. I'll have to try it out sometime. Yep. I learned like something. Stealth, lo- stealth launch for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I, I, Go ahead, I, Kevin. I didn't say anything. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I gather that it, it's not completely, uh, you know, it doesn't do 100% of what Alexa does, but maybe maybe it does. I haven't really test, tested it beyond just some simple commands that, you know, that I use. The uh, tooltip that came up uh, when I brought up the app was that I could ask it uh, where my package was. Yeah, which you, you can do with the Echo too, I assume. Right, exactly. So where's your package? <laughs> <laughs> That's a personal question, my friend. <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> so, uh, so in the future, though, we may have to pay more to use Alexa at home uh, or any other specific internet service um, depending upon what direction you think net neutrality is going to go again we have I know so I actually I remember doing we did a a little music fun music video thing with a podcast I was working with at the time way back in 2007 about net neutrality and now it's 2017 and it's the same thing which is basically fighting it we're still fighting it and still educating people about it mm-hmm. is the big thing. It's like there's still people that are like, I don't understand what it means. I feel like we've or, done this so many times. Yeah. And I'm surprised that this time it's getting, I thought, oh, well, people are just really beaten down with fighting for net neutrality. And they're eventually, you know, they're going to 
uh, you know, abolish it this time, but it really has uh, become a big uh, news item in the last week. Uh, lots of sites, lots of uh, individuals talking about it, lots of people urging you to, you know, call your elected representatives and, and tell them how you feel about it. And then, of course, the whole education campaign again, just trying to explain to people why they should care. <laughs> About my, my concern, and I guess it kind of harkens back to the cynicism I expressed on another topic earlier, I'm not sure what we do matters. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I can write to my senators all I want, but it just sort of seems like the dice are, have already been cast, their die has already been cast, that, that this is one of those things that the FCC seems to be hell-bent on getting rid of. Yeah, and I think the, the, the idea, hopefully in the long run, it, it, there's going to be a long run for net neutrality, is to take it out of the hands of the FCC. Because anytime, if in their hands, they could just change their mind all the time, right? Just five people that vote on this stuff, apparently. And uh, so I think if the FCC decides we're going to abolish it this time, at least have enough public outcry to get Congress interested in passing some legislation to make it so that it becomes law not just a policy decision. Right. But again, pardon the cynicism. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen in today's climate. Yeah. I saw a list online of the 265 Congress people who have taken money from the telecom companies and the amazingly low amounts it apparently has taken to get them convinced that uh, that neutrality needs to go. Yeah. Which is, it's both sad and kind of scary. Now, I do have to admit that when I read some of the um, uh, the stories about, you know, oh my gosh, this is how the world ends if we lose net neutrality, some of those absolutely seem over the top. And I think that that doesn't serve the cause either. Um, you know, the fact, you know, you're connecting to somebody, you're going to have some random pop-up asking you for $20 more if you want to connect to the high-speed version of that service. I don't see that kind of extreme stuff happening. And I, like I said, I do think that those kind of extreme positions is almost fear-mongering in the reverse case. And it just, I don't know, like I said, I think it's, it's going to take a while for things to shake out. I honestly believe that, uh, like it or not, net neutrality is probably going to go away at least for a while. And I think what happens next uh, what happens legally in terms of, of laws or rules or who gets to decide, um, that will get decided a few years out, and a lot of that will depend on exactly what happens when we don't have net neutrality. What really happens? What are these companies really going to do? And how does that really impact the average consumer? I don't think until then we really have a good, good idea of, of what this is going to look like. Unfortunately, I think one of the main problems with not having net neutrality isn't something we could see. It's, it's going to be the, the future that we'll miss. It'll be these companies that don't happen, these services that don't get created, you know, these entrepreneurs that don't succeed because it's too expensive to create a, a new service. You know, you, you, in a non-net neutrality future, you may be looking at, uh, you know, all, all I could do uh, when I create my new idea is – uh, is you know put it out there on kind of the the basic internet package kind of thing where uh, people can't you know a lot of people can't get it or can't get it at the speed that would make it useful um, so I don't have a chance to get going because I don't have the money 
to pay all of the ISPs to put my service on the top tier. Um, so, and, and that would just be invisible. It's just things that will not happen. So we won't notice that they're missing because they never would have happened in the first place. And even that scenario has a bunch of assumptions in it that, you know, yeah, you're going to have to pay, quote unquote, all these ISPs. That could happen. Or it could be something completely different. Um, we just, we don't know how it's going to roll out. I'm not saying, you know, we shouldn't care. I'm not saying that, that net neutrality is not a good idea. We do need it. We do want it. But in the light of it probably not happening, um, it's really unclear exactly what that not happening is going to look like. Now, there are going to be some rallies. I think they're planning for, is it December 9th? It's, uh, uh, it, you know, just the, the Saturday before the SEC is going to make this decision to have some some rallies in wherever it is you live. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much turnout they get. I know there's been some talk in my local town of, uh, you know, where, where where the rally would meet and what we would do and who's leading it and that kind of thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if that materializes into anything uh, when the time comes. Well, hopefully I won't have to pay my ISP anything more because I'm already paying them plenty. Hmm. Yeah, it may not. it may be that the users don't. My biggest fear is the users never have to pay anything more. You know, they don't, they don't change anything at the user side. It's going to be on the uh, website and app side mm -hmm. that yeah, they, I mean, they find the, you know, the, the easy money, you know, just start, start, charge, start, send an email to me, to, to my, you know, I've got websites, send an email to me saying, Hey, if you want to be on Comcast's fast tier uh, for all customers, pay us $300 a month. And mm -hmm. then I have to pay Verizon $300 a month and I have to pay, CenturyLink three hundred dollars, or, or maybe they set up some sort of whatever you know, web developers coalition or something, some like group that you need to to join into in order to be on in on the quote unquote fast lane for all the different ISPs, and it's just one more business expense. I think that that would affect all of us because we all have websites. I mean, I have more than a hundred websites, and if you and I have worked very hard over the years to make my sites. Fast. I use content delivery networks and fast servers and 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 this and that. And to just be slapped back to we'll say half as fast because I because uh, of this net neutrality thing would be difficult for my business and and unpleasant for my users and and uh, just there's nothing good about it. Well, I don't really see this happening to run-of-the-mill websites. I see this happening more to places like Netflix, that it's using a lot of bandwidth. And yeah, Netflix is going to have to be the one paying it, but they're going to pass those costs on. Instead of 10 bucks a month, maybe it'll be 15 and right. or 20 and on and on. It, also, it could also manifest um, not at the individual website lo level, but at the host level. So, you know, wherever you have all your websites hosted, those companies could be the one to decide that they will get into a, a, you know, they'll make a deal with Comcast and Verizon and whomever so that all of their customers benefit from higher speeds, but then all of our hosting costs go up. And so Netflix Liquid Web already, will be faster than Bluehost. Probably. Right, probably. And Netflix has already done this before, I think it was before 2015 when the current version of neutrality was, you know, put in place. Uh, Netflix did a deal with Comcast 
basically to get faster access to the customers. Um, and, you know, they had this whole thing about, oh, we're going to have a direct line between our servers and Comcast's network, and it'll speed things up. And they were going to pay Comcast for it. So they already, whether it was, you know, planned or inadvertent, uh, did a, a, a deal very much like what we could expect to see uh, if net neutrality goes away with a lot more companies. And the problem I see it is it's so easy for the uh, ISPs to automate this whole process because they could go after the top 100 websites and strike deals with all of them. But then after the top 100, they could say, hey, let's just automate the process and have uh, our computers just track traffic by domain name, look up those domain names you know, according to the database, and send out emails to whoever owns the domains and tell them your domain could be on the in the fast lane uh, if you just sign on, create an account with us, and pay us a monthly fee. And yeah, they could do it with you know nobody, you know, no customer service, nothing. Just set up a, a website for them to do that and collect money. What I also predict then are uh, scams, like we have the domain name registration scams that try and get money from you for. Mm-hmm domains that they actually have no de- no business dealing with i could see somebody trying to scam you out of yeah sure send us some money we'll we'll make your your connection faster and then just take your money and run good point i'm registering those domain names right now <laughs> so we've got uh outside of net neutrality which i got a feeling we're going to be talking about more in the next few weeks as this approaches the uh the vote of the fcc oh no no, no. Well, we'll see. Well, it could, no, I said no doubt we will. No doubt, yeah. Especially if it goes in some direction or another. Um, but we've got, uh, uh, you know, normal uh, revelations of hacks going on. A couple of uh, uh, announcements that uh, the image site Imager was hacked, um, but not now, not recently, but back in 2014. Yeah, it was only just now re- uh, revealed that they were hacked in 2014 and... 1.7 million accounts got uh, their passwords sniffed and all that. Which is, the, and they only just noticed. They said that they were uh, hacked because, um, you know, they're not a site that collects a lot of information. I believe it's just an ID, which is an email address and a password, and that's it. That's your account. It's not like you're putting your address in there or doing other things. But so, it's a good reminder not to use the same password on multiple sites because if they get that, then they're going to start trying it on other sites like banks and uh, retirement accounts. Exactly. And that's, I mean, people ask me all the time about these types of hacks. They say, well, why, you know, what's the big deal about that? It's just a site where you upload images or whatever. But what they're after is those passwords. They add them to their databases and say, great, now when we get a chance, we, let's try that same email address and password at Facebook, at Citibank, at Amazon. And a lot of them will match up because people it, will reuse the passwords. It's actually not necessarily the, the banks or the shopping sites that they go to first. They will actually go to the email providers first, the Gmails and the Outlooks and the Hotmail.coms. The reason they do that is because once they hack your email account, then they can very easily hack into all your other accounts by doing password resets without needing to know the password. Good point. And I guess the other one that was, uh, I, I heard, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but that Uber also had a uh, 
Uber was hacked yeah. Yeah, last, last year, and now they went a different direction. They reportedly paid the hackers $100,000 to keep quiet. Um, I guess that didn't work out too well for them because we... we Money well spent. Yeah. Did they think uh, that would work? I mean, uh, oh my. It did for a while, apparently. Uh, Uber CEO, I sorry, I cannot pronounce this person's name, uh, said two hackers broke into the company in late 2016, stole personal data, including phone numbers, email addresses, and names of 57 million Uber users. Among those, the hackers stole 600,000 driver's license numbers of drivers uh, uh, for the company. So it's one thing to say uh, you can protect yourself by not using the same password on different sites, but once they have your credit card number, your driver's license number, uh, your, you know, e- your email address, your home phone number, you, you are wide open to identity theft and, and, and scams and who knows what else. That, that's a lot harder to avoid because you can't use a different driver's license number on, on every website where you need to enter yours. Yeah, that's all stuff that's out of your control when that happens, and it's tough. It basically harkens back to the Equifax hack of, of earlier this year, where you know a lot of people's sensitive information was stolen, and there's just not a whole lot you can do about it other than, in that case at least, and perhaps in the Uber case, running around and locking your credit file. And why don't they just have everybody's credit file locked at this point? I mean, <laughs> Because that way they wouldn't make any money. I mean, that's the thing. It's not in their financial interest to lock everybody's credit file. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And remember, we're not their customer. Yeah. yeah we're a product. Yep. I, I do notice having used uh, ride-sharing services a lot in the last couple of weeks, especially over this vacation, uh, you know, the both Uber and Lyft will, you know, take on, on my phone, they'll take Apple Pay. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I would assume that, that on Android phones, they'll take Google's payment service. They do. And then there's PayPal and all those others. And I, I've been trying to start, you know, encouraging my friends and family to whatever service that they want to choose, you know, whether it's Apple Pay, Google, PayPal, whatever it is, start using those because it's starting to be more often than not, those are accepted at every little convenience store, every grocery store, uh, every, pretty much every place but gas stations. And those one-time use codes that they're using, they protect you. You know, at, at this point, you know, my, I don't have a credit card stored at Uber or Lyft because I'm using Apple Pay whenever I use either one of those. So a hack would mean that they wouldn't get that information from me. But they get your name and your phone number. Yeah, but, but it's better. It's, it was definitely, it's a lot better. And I don't have to replace my credit card all the time i mean basically everything you can do to reduce your exposure you know the attack surface that you're making available um, is a good thing exactly yeah 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 so you know look into those on your you know i was even i was it was one of those things where i was talking to family members and saying well why don't you use one of those and they're like i don't have that on my phone and i'm like yes you do let me show you (laughs) You and and there's just not as much awareness apple's done a good job because they have their own proprietary service, you know, Apple Pay for iPhones, and it's built in and it's there in the settings and they talk about it and encourage you to use it. On Android phones, you know, there's competing services. And so I just think there's a lot of people that just don't know that they could do that, that now and that it actually works. Yeah, uh, the, real, the real issue with Android phones is that um, it's not until, say, the last, I'll say, year, maybe two that the phones have the NFC component that really makes um, 
Android Pay, which is actually part of, of Android. It's, it's on all of them. Um, actually, you know, usable uh, to make it function. I know these days, that's how I pay for groceries. I tap my phone. It's just the right way to do it. And you're right. You, you end up using a, uh, a number that is not your credit card number is what gets given to the grocery store or to whomever you use it with. It's great. Now I'm getting to make uh, purchasing decisions based on the availability of, you know, an, an NFC uh, reader at a store, going to specific stores, knowing that I can use uh, my phone to pay and not have to bring the credit card. I can go to the, my, the baseball stadium here in town, uh, Coors Field, and I can have my ticket on my phone and I can use Apple Pay throughout for food and everything. Um, and I can leave my wallet at home, like literally leave my wallet at home, go and enjoy a, a day at the ball game without having to use a credit card and expose my, my credit card information to somebody. I've often wondered just, you know, how realistic that would be for me, the, the various places that I go to. And even if it were, there's something I have to get over. It just feels too uncomfortable not to have that information with you in its, in its more traditional form. Yeah, and not have it there as a backup. I mean, it is, it is tough. But then again, even with credit cards, there's some credit cards that are not taken in some places. So sometimes, uh, you know, I, I've gotten used to having multiple options available to me when I need to pay for something that's critical, and uh, or at least knowing where I'm going, oh, that this will work with my phone and I'm good going here. It is frustrating that in the United States, gas stations are lagging the furthest behind because they are the the most obvious attack vector, especially for credit card skimmers. Um, and you think that with gas stations having these standard, you know, pay stations, you know, pay at each pump, that they would have been the first ones to have, have NFC. But instead, they're going to be the last probably to have NFC. It is interesting because it's the merchant that takes it in the shorts when something goes wrong. I was um, speaking to a friend of mine who's co-owner of a uh, of a local beer bar and tap room, and they finally had a fraudulent credit card used there um, a few weeks ago. And when they found out about it, which actually wasn't for about a month, um, they were the ones that were out the money. There was, you know, nobody was was covering for them, um, so they would be the ones who would be the most motivated to have the most secure technology uh, on the front lines. There's a new uh, app that I got on my Android that's pretty cool called Skimmer Scanner. And apparently these skimmers have a known chipset for their Bluetooth so the scammer can quick read off the information that the skimmer got. And the Skimmer Scanner is looking for the signature of that chipset and will let you know if there's a scanner in the vicinity, which is a pretty good idea if you're going to a, a gas station, just quick check and see if it, it's picking up that uh, Bluetooth signature. It's clever. Yeah, I usually give the thing a, a good tug <laughs> with yeah. my hand, you know, and, and kind of, and really just look at it and just, I mean, I know that they're getting more clever now and better at hiding them, but I think a lot of them are, you know, somewhat obvious. So when I, when I can't avoid it, I and and also I look at other ones. You're standing there at the pump, and you've got like two in a row, and then and two in the next aisle, and two in the next aisle. And I, you can look around and see what they look like really quickly, and then look at yours. They all match, then probably fine. But if yours looks completely different, then somebody may have. Then grab it and yank on it, and if it comes off, yeah, it's probably a skimmer. 
Well, either way, thank you, Randy. I've just downloaded and installed that app. That sounds like a, a good one to have, especially if you're traveling. Yeah. And speaking of apps, you know, the whole reason that Imager was out there is because they're such a big site. There's a lot of smaller sites that get broken into all the time. And haveibeenpawned.com is a way to find out if your information has been stolen. If you don't know how to spell the internet version of pond, I'll link to that on the show page. I usually pronounce it owned. Or pwned. I always pronounce it pwned. Pwned. Yeah. Yeah. I thought originally from the gamer standpoint, it was a misspelling of owned, you know, owning somebody, you know, when you conquer them, say in a game. Exactly. so you just say owned, even though it's pronounced, it's spelled. Oh. But oh. I'm behind the times apparently, but I'll still well, link su- to it on the show page. You're such a big gamer, Randy. I mean, I know <laughs> games. What are those? Fake gamer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, uh, yeah, that and the uh, show links will be useful, and the uh, also that skimmer app. Uh, you know, the the Bluetooth. Uh, app that detects skimmers i wonder if there'll be a an iphone version of that ever or it's something to do with the fact that maybe the iphone apps can't get that level of uh yeah i seem to recall it wasn't available for the iphone but yeah sandbox away i do know that they've been locking down more and more of the functionality on android and at least it did not complain when i installed it i have obviously haven't scanned anything in the three minutes since i've installed it but um on the surface it looks like it's going to work I scanned at a conference. I, I scanned at a conference with you know a couple hundred people in the audience, and was amazed how many people's phones were discoverable. It showed me a big long list. Wow, yeah, yeah. Seen that always. I always see that with Wi-Fi when I'm especially again when I'm traveling or in a hotel, or especially it's fun to do on an airplane uh, because you know that the the Wi-Fi is at least nearby, and there's a number of of machines that are just out there for the taking. Yep, and AirDrop too. You can look at see who's got AirDrop turned on and accepting from anybody. And it's like, well, I love dropping random files into people's AirDrops. <laughs> it's yeah. good pictures and things. Yeah, it's good. Cool. <laughs> hey, we're closing in on an hour, guys. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it actually for a Thanksgiving week, you know, where news should be relatively slow. I think there was a decent amount of uh, tech news, interesting things going on this week. Yeah, well, we should probably wrap it up. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. So uh, the website, what's the website, Randy? So the show page will be at TEH podcast slash TEH two, because this is episode two. Cool. And, uh, and we are on iTunes now, so you can subscribe. We are. You can subscribe there or you can go to the website. Be sure to like, comment and subscribe. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> All those things. Yep. And, and there is a link. For those that aren't as necessarily interested in actually even understanding what podcasting is all about, the webpage has a player on the page. So you don't have to do anything other than go to that page and push play. Yep. This is true. <laughs> and we'll be coming at you every week with more interesting stories and commentary about technology. Because we're all enthusiasts. And it's been an hour. It's a nice way of saying geeks, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> the acronym didn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Yep. Goodbye, everybody.